Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Moms That Say Fuck, hosted by yours truly, Alana Kapitz and Dr. Dina Kulik. I'm Alana, the CEO and founder of Moms Toronto. We're on a mission to bring moms together and give them a great day, revolutionizing maternity leave. And I'm Dr. Dina Kulik. I'm a pediatrician and pediatric emergency medicine doctor. I provide no-nonsense child health advice, dispelling myths, and empowering parents to parent confidently and raise your healthiest kids. Together, we have six kids under eight. We are eager to chat with other moms, entrepreneurs, and interesting people about everything from sex to alcohol, sleep woes, and body shaming. We aren't afraid to talk about taboo topics or share our many opinions. We say it like it is and want to get to the heart of the issues facing moms and caregivers everywhere. Come join us. Here we go. Hello, hello, hello. Family, friends, our podcast crew. Mommies Mamas and, and papas. Mamas and papas. <laughs> Welcome to Moms That Say Fuck. Hosted by yours truly, Alana K. Fitzgerald and Dr. Dina Kulik. In studio tonight, we have Kim Smiley. Kim Smiley is a good old friend of mine. She's an artist, a fashion designer, and a social entrepreneur. She is the, uh, I guess, founder of the Empathy Empire. And uh, Kim's had like a very interesting history, career, path, spirituality, style. You guys have to see this woman. Uh, welcome. Thanks for having me. And welcome. You guys have never met before, Dina, right? We have met. Have you? We actually met in your office when I was there for lactation consulting. Oh, okay. I don't know if you remember that. Dina's nodding. Everybody. I'm just nodding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dina's I knew, seen I knew me I, naked. I knew uh, I, I knew I recognized you, but I didn't know in what context. Yeah. No, not the naked part though. You walk in, I'm like, I know your breasts anywhere. <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah. I do. I, I thought you. I'd seen you at Kikru, but I didn't remember the context. And yes. our neighbors as well. Yes, they yes. are neighbors. Mm -hmm. So Kim, give us a high level. What is the empathy effect? So the Empathy Effect is a nonprofit that I started in 2015, but it didn't start as a nonprofit. It started as a social experiment online. Mm -hmm. And I had a hypothesis, and my hypothesis was that empathy was infectious. And I wanted to test that hypothesis on social media because I found that social media, particularly Facebook, was quite a toxic place, lots of trolling. And I, I wanted to test out whether... I could start a movement online that was to galvanize empathy, basically. So every day for one year, six days a week, I posted a true story and a black and white photograph about someone sorry, transforming. New, new puppy here. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It Go was ahead. about someone transforming the world through empathy. And I did it six days a week. And on day five, I wrote about Dr. Matthew Morton who maybe, maybe you know. Do I feel like a name. I don't know who it is, though. So he was an OBGYN at Sinai, and I had known him from Montreal, mm -hmm. and he was dying of cancer. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, he had a brain tumor, right? He had a brain yeah. tumor, exactly. So I had known about his wife, Heidi Wilk, and I wrote about him because it, I think it was his 36th or 37th birthday at the time. Mm -hmm. When he was 32, he was diagnosed, and he was given, I think, 18 months to live, and he was celebrating his 36th birthday on day five of The Empathy Effect. So I wrote about him and I basically invited the internet to sing him happy birthday online. Mm -hmm. And it went viral from there, the empathy effect. And the post was shared thousands of times. And it was from there on, it just, it just sort of expanded and expanded. Yes. Until today, it has over 208,000 followers on social media. Yeah. And the whole idea is to share stories of empathy and kindness but not just to share them, but to encourage other people to adopt acts of empathy in their own lives and to teach their children. So it's not just supposed to be a passive kind of slacktivist thing. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be active. Slacktivist. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like it too. That's awesome. Yeah. So like on day 30, 365 of the Empathy Effect, we launched the second phase with Dream Vision, which is my partner, my media partner. And it was basically an invitation to people to uh, perform the empathy pledge. And the empathy pledge was a promise to practice one act of empathy a day. So very simple. And we rolled it out with kids and, and with the pins. adults as well. I remember the pin. The pins, yeah, yeah exactly. Cool. There, was, there was a pin to symbolize the empathy pledge. And when you wear the pin, it's a reminder to practice one act of empathy a day. Mm -hmm. And how is that different than like an act of kindness? Or is it just a different word? 
it's it's a it's a it's different I think like empathy is about putting yourself in someone else's shoes and mm. feeling what they're feeling yeah whereas kindness isn't necessarily doing that you yeah. could perform kindness and still be quite removed from the person that you're performing an act of kindness for mm-hmm. this is this is different I think it's more powerful than kindness and it's not a random kind of act a random mm-hmm. act of kindness I know that's very popular mm-hmm. it's very very deliberate empathy is deliberate kind of compassion mm-hmm. So here's the skinny on Kim. Yeah. Kim is a Harvard grad. She's, are you a lawyer? No, I'm no. not. Harvard grad and then worked for Habitat for Humanity, worked for UJA. I know this because I worked with her. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's just like a thought leader, just really thought leadership when it comes to, I think, breaking the mold a bit. And if you know Kim Smiley, if you've heard of her before, she's actually a famous Canadian jewelry designer. So let's talk about the jewelry. How did that come to be? So the jewelry was, was so, um, it, it just happened very serendipitously. As, as you said, I worked in nonprofit for mm-hmm. many years, but I'd always been an artist. I was a self-taught artist, always doing art from a, from a really early age. And in 2012, I painted a ketuba for a really good friend of mine, Brian Abrason and Sue Gold. They're, uh, Brian, I know, from Montreal, and Sue, as well as from Montreal, and they okay, got married explain, in Toronto. Explain what ketubah is for people that don't know. Mm. So a ketubah is a Jewish marriage contract. And so I painted this ketubah, and there was this Hebrew inscription in the center, which is basically their vows. And over the vows of the ketubah, I used this really, really beautiful lace, and I had started to become really interested in lace and I started collecting antique lace, but this was the first time that I used lace in a painting. And it was this gorgeous, thick, metallic lace that I used over the Hebrew inscription of the vows of the ketubah. And after that, I created a series of paintings using, they were, they were photographs from the Ontario Jewish Archive of Children taken by this photographer named Sylvia Schwartz in the 1950s. These really beautiful, whimsical portraits of children. And I started doing a series of mixed media paintings that incorporated all this gorgeous antique lace that I had started collecting. And one day I was looking at the paintings on my wall and I literally had an epiphany. And I said, these should not be on a wall. They should be on a woman's body. So I thought, do I make it into a scarf? Do I make it into a piece of jewelry? Mm -hmm. Like, what do I do with this stuff? Yeah. So I fashioned a really simple bracelet and I literally, I don't have skills as a seamstress, I sewed it onto my wrist, but I was just amusing myself. I wasn't planning on starting a business. The next day I was a VP at UJA Federation and I was soliciting a major gift from a donor. So I went to meet this donor at the Thompson Hotel and he actually owned a, a really large chain of clothing stores, Danier. He was the owner of Danier, Jeffrey Wartsman. Hmm. And so in the course of my meeting, I'm telling him about UJA, I'm telling him about the work we do in terms of poverty alleviation, employment, mm-hmm. um, domestic violence. And Just pause. UJA is the United Way for the Jewish community. Exactly. Just as a heads up. Yeah. United Jewish Welfare Fund, I think yes. is the long descriptor for it. And um, so I talk with my hands. You know, you can't see that now because we're, we're doing this as a podcast, but I talk with my hands. And in the course of the conversation with Jeffrey Wartsman, I see the bartender coming over to me and she approaches me and she said, you know, I'm really sorry to interrupt you guys, but I, I just wanted to know, where did you get your bracelet? And so I, t- I told her and then I continued talking and he was, he was watching and he sort of started smiling. And then when we were getting up to leave, another person approached me and said, you know, I hate to interrupt you, but I, I saw that woman asking where you got your bracelet. Where did you get that bracelet? Do you mind if I try it on? And he just said, do you know these people? And I said, no, of course, I don't, I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't know these people. And he said, that doesn't happen. You have to do something with this. And I was there in the context of my job mm-hmm. at UJA. And so I said, well, what do you, what do you think I should do? He said, I, I think you should be a jewelry designer. So I kind of just laughed. And my whole career up until that point, I spent 13 years getting to where I was in the nonprofit sector. I laughed and I said, thanks so much. It was nice meeting you. And... Um, and I went, I went on my way, but then I started thinking about it and I thought I had always wanted to be an artist mm-hmm. vocationally, but I never thought that I could do it because it's very hard to make a living as an artist. So I started thinking, whoa, sorry guys. I, I basically started thinking, how can I integrate the things that I'm most passionate about into the business model to make this something that I could do for my career? 
And so one of the first things that I integrated was the social justice model where the people whom I employ are newcomers. Most recently I hired Syrian women and they're my workforce. And they don't need to speak English well because this is uh, something that's artistic that I could show them how to do and then they could, they could just do it. And then they're, they're learning English though, they're learning more and more English. And I pay them a living wage of $18 an hour which is obviously higher than the, the minimum wage in Toronto. And then the way that I decided to sell it was I, instead of doing stores or typical modes of, of retail, I decided to sell it by partnering with charities and hosting trunk shows. And people come for the trunk show, they learn about the charity, they learn about the business model of my business, and then they shop for a cause, shop for a purpose, and I give 20% of all the sales back to the charity. So it's like a win-win situation. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing uh, that I incorporated into it was poetry, because I, I love poetry, and I was trying to add depth to my idea. So the social justice was one element, and then I wove together the poetry, and every piece is named after a poet, either famous or emerging. And when you go onto the website, you're coming to look at jewelry, but you're confronted just very... You're, you're confronted with poetry. People read poetry, and often people are intimidated by poetry. They don't read it, but this is a, a way for them to approach poetry that's not intimidating. It's on a fashion website, mm -hmm. and it's been an opportunity to put emerging poets alongside very, very famous poets. So, like, for instance, I'll have Pablo Neruda next to um, my friend Jessica McFarland that I went to graduate school with, or ML Bordner that I, I met on Instagram. She's an amazing poet on Instagram. So exposing people to poetry is just a, is something that I love to do, and it's yeah. just a side benefit of the, of the company that I created. Wow, is that amazing? Very cool. So Kim's become quite famous. Let's talk about some of the celebrities that's worn your jewelry, just to give people... I think famous is a bit of an exaggeration. Okay, let's but talk about people of notoriety who have worn the jewelry just to give the magnitude of the project, this like idea that has spun into... It's aspirational, inspirational, has a lot of meaning, but also it has legs. This is not... And you retail, it's a major places now, right? I, I haven't really uh, gone ahead with retail. I've, I've tried Were a little bit. Holtz? I was, at, I was an Indigo. So Heather oh, Reisman okay. is one of my clients. So again, I went to meet her in, in the context of philanthropy. I wanted her to speak at a, an event for UJA and she, she literally took the bracelet off my wrist. Um, and so we started a relationship and then I had a trunk show at Indigo um, at Bay and Bloor, which was awesome. Right, that's what it was. The, yeah. the, the, I guess the biggest influencer that has, that has worn my jewelry is Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. And that was facilitated through Jessica Mulrooney, who's an incredible ambassador for Canadian fashion. Right. And the way that happened was one of my friends tagged me on a post that Jessica posted, do you know any Canadian designers that I should hmm. be aware of? And that's kind of how that happened. Oh, that's how it got there. Cool. Uh -huh. And um, so Sophie um, wore my jewelry to the press gallery dinner. And she named my company because they did the spoof. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago where they did the spoof, like, what are you wearing, Sophie? And she, so she said the name of my company. So that was a big boost for my business. Right. And then when they went to India, because my jewelry is, has a very sort of Indian kind of look to it, mm. aesthetic to it, they contacted me and, um, and I ended up supplying like a trunk full of jewelry and clothing because I started to design clothing as well. And so she wore my jewelry, I think, six times on that trip. And she wore one of the dresses that I designed as well. Yeah. And, um, and that was like, there was, I'd never anticipated like someone like that wearing my jewelry. And it was a huge boom to yeah. my business, like to my social media mm -hmm. and just the exposure. Um, Global National News came to do a story on my company and it premiered like right before the Oscars. It was like the, it was five minutes before the Oscars. So my traffic, I think, was it was over ten thousand percent increase that day. Wow. Oh, that it was on global national news. It was just like an incredible, yeah, incredible, uh, you know, series of of events that that led to that. And um, and so yeah, so yeah, I think Sophie Gregoire Chudo is probably the most notable person that's worn it so far. How about that story, Dina? Is that it's an, amazing? Unbelievable? It's incredible. And, and, you, and you never know when that's going to happen, right? Like right. when is that going to be that moment? That's you awesome. never know, yeah. and it's just like. You, like for the Heather Reisman thing, I um, I met with her and she she literally put the bracelet on that time that I met with her. And then when I was leaving her office, I noticed that um, that there was a camera crew coming in and I didn't even think anything of it. 
Anyways, I was in Israel a couple of months later and one of the participants of this trip that I was on came over to me and she's, she said, you know, you're in McLean's magazine this month. And I said, no, you know, I, I, I'm not actually. She's like, no, you are. I bought the magazine. I have to show you. You're in McLean's this month. And I was just thinking to myself, I think I would know if I was in McLean's magazine. Yeah. Anyway, it turns out that Heather Reisman was being interviewed for the top 50 most influential people in Canada. That's amazing. Right when I was, you know, when I was leaving, they were coming in McLean's. And so she was wearing my bracelet in that, in that, uh, in that photograph for the, the top 50 most influential people in Canada. So it was also another just serendipitous, just really great yes. moment for my business. And if you have not been yet through this first 20 minutes of the podcast to kimsmiley.com, let's describe it a bit. It's like very, um, almost filigree lace. Yeah. Is that what you describe exactly, it? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's metallic it's lace. Beautiful. Hand sewn. It looks like cuffs. It looks like henna, right? Right. It looks like it's henna. It's like very much like henna. Right. And yeah, it kind of looks like Wonder Woman cuffs as well. Yes. And a lot of women say that it's like a badge of honor. It's not just jewelry. It's a badge of honor. It's mm-hmm. pretty distinct from other jewelry. Yes. And it's, it's not metal, right? So that makes it very soft. Very light. Yeah. Very light. So I was at an event last March, I want to say. And it was actually right around the time the podcast was just really hitting the air. And Kim outfitted me com- entirely because the line has spread from just lace to just the most beautiful, like, like, like stuff, like everything. And I wore like six or seven necklaces, like four cuffs. I wore this like beautiful pink kimono that you were doing. And I got so many compliments on this outfit and I was such a honor and a thrill to be like in the elk of women who got to like get styled by you and wear your stuff. So it's, it's beautiful. It really it is, is like yeah. over the top. So I think it's so inspirational and aspirational for our listeners, Kim. Like, do you think you've been just ass backwards lucky or do you think there's something more there that's gotten you to the level of over 200,000 people on your empathy project? I mean, you're somebody who I think is just um, on the trains for success. Like next stop is like huge for you, but you're also somebody who's extraordinarily wise and has had a really cool career. So what do you think is maybe a little bit of the secret sauce to get to that level in your opinion? And also hustling. We well, have two young kids also. Like it's not, it's not like you're working like, you know, 80 hours a week just on this. You have a family and you have strong spiritual roots and stuff like that. So what is that thing you think, Kim, in your business or your social enterprise that has catapulted you a bit? I think that it's partly luck for sure. It's partly consistency, like with the empathy effect. I was doing it every day. It was a full-time job, but it was not. It was I was doing it for free, right? It was just mm-hmm. a passion project. And I think that is one of the secret ingredients is passion. I was so passionate about the empathy effect. And it's, it's interesting because I... I thought of the idea five years before I did it. And it was one of those things that just marinated in my imagination for five years. And I don't know if you guys have ever had an idea that I'm sure both of you have, given who you <laughs> don't are. Don't get Dina started. <laughs> just yeah. an idea that just like is on your back and it doesn't get off. And even yeah. though it maybe takes a long time to get off the ground, it just it it just sticks to you. Yeah. And, it, and it just like, it's there until you do it. Yeah. And so sometimes ideas take a longer time to sort of get off the ground. And then with the empathy effect, it did. And I remember telling people about it in the five years when I thought of it and people said, you know, oh, can I take that idea? Like, that's such a cool thing. Why aren't you doing that? And it's just like ideas need to have their time to come. Mm-hmm. And so when I resigned from UJA in 2015, I decided, and I, I did it to start to really focus on my jewelry business full time because it was becoming impossible for me to do both. I was basically moonlighting as a designer and launched my, um, my company at Fashion Week in 2014 while I was at UJA. So I took vacation days to launch my business. And uh, so I took the, the risk to, to leave my, my full-time job. Mm-hmm. Having a husband who was supportive of me was a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And so I started the Empathy Effect a couple months after I left. And, um, and it was the consistency and I think it was the content. Uh, content is obviously so important on yeah. social media. And there's just, there's, we're bombarded with stories and content. But a lot of the content is really negative, And a lot of the content content is really toxic. And I think one of the distinguishing features of what I was doing was that everything was positive. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like fresh on social media because it was something that I posted at 8 a.m. every morning. And people, 
started having it as a part of their routines. And it was instead of turning on your, your social media and seeing like all the, the terrible stuff on the news yeah. or seeing like all the negative trolling on social media, it was like a positive thing to start your day. Mm-hmm. And I think the, uh, the stories were quite short and the photos were powerful. And they were, the stories were about kids and about animals because animals have empathy as well, right? And children have empathy and plants and, and paintings. It was very, very um, diverse, like the stories. And also the other part that I think was interesting was I was getting stories from all over the world because the empathy effect became a very global movement. It did. So I had followers in over 50 countries. And as it grew, I would get people who were following the empathy effect provide me with the stories and I would write stories from the people and they were, they were funneling in the content. So the content became so rich and it was mostly original content. And I think that's another thing that was, was a little bit of a a difference with other social media platforms is people like reproduce content. And I've granted, I've been doing that lately. Like since I've had kids, I haven't been producing as much original content because like you only have so much time. Right. But the empathy effect originally, it was mostly original content. And I think uh, the Matthew Morton piece, just that, that was, that was such a beautiful piece yeah. that all these strangers came together. Cause I think they just identified with the story of this young man with three young children and this beautiful wife who was dying mm. and, and yet he was dying and he was giving so much back still in his life. And the story was really about his compassion that I saw in the news that, that jogged my memory about him. And uh, so, so that, that was just like the, the sort of the, um, the launching pad, I think, for the mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. And then MTV picked it up and Upworthy picked it up. And as I started getting like more media exposure, it just started blossoming and blossoming more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the next step of it is, is really how do I marry empathy with the fashion mm-hmm. component? And that, that's what I'm working on right now. Mm-hmm. So I've created a line of empathy jewelry. I actually did it right after I gave birth to my daughter. Mm -hmm. So I created it about 10 months ago and I haven't launched it yet because I've been really tired, Mm. (laughs) you know, and I have, I have a toddler, like I have a three-year-old and I have a a daughter that's going to be 11 months. And Mm -hmm. um, when Maya was born, I, I was in such a high creative mode because when I was pregnant with her, I was flatlined creatively and I don't know if you found what mm. in your pregnancies that you were more creative in some and less creative in others. But with Sam, I was so creative. Mm-hmm. And with Maya, it's like my daughter took away what's called in, in Sanskrit, it's called Shakti. She took away like my female creative energy mm-hmm. because all of it was being used to make Maya. Mm-hmm. And once she came out of me, all my creative energy came back. So mm-hmm. I created this new line of jewelry that I, I'm going to hopefully be launching soon. Cool, right? Very cool. What do you think, Dean? I think uh, you're asking, like, you know, do we have more energy or creativity or whatever? I, I'm definitely not a creative person like you. Um, but I think, I mean, I'm an idea person. Like, I'm uh, always thinking about more and different and businesses, et cetera. I certainly don't have creativity like you do. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I was more or less creative when I was pregnant or postpartum. I don't know. I think I'm always thinking, doing, moving. I don't think there was ever really, like, a dull moment in any of my pregnancies or postpartum anyway. But, Yeah. I'm trying to think about that too. It's such an interesting perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I think my creativity really, really sung in my second pregnancy, not in my first pregnancy. So with your daughter. Yeah. That's I was more creative pregnant with, with Essa than okay, I was. So that kind of that debunks my, no, but my gender. No, well, I mean, yeah. no, I think it's interesting. I, I just never thought of it that way before. So, and let's talk about parenting. How since being a parent, has it changed your perspective as a, entrepreneur as your sense of self as your I mean Kim also I'm just describing is like a beautiful woman with crazy fashion sense it's beautiful really like I would say um um unique uh style and print and she's wearing a beautiful like head wrap and like totally as I would say for puts to like lots of jewelry <laughs> really cute um you know but this is like your casual wear like wearing sweatpants and Kim is wearing this is like, like a, this a is silk like a sweat. it's like a, sw- it's a sweatshirt sweater. with lace with on it, lace yeah. on it. Yeah. so what like parenthood how has it what did you just riff on parenthood it's it's changed things a lot for me yeah and it's made me realize I can't do everything at the same time yeah I think with with my first pregnancy I tried to keep up the same momentum and the same pace yeah and I just, for some women, I'm sure it's doable, but for me, I've come to realize that it's just not. Like, I, I just I just can't keep up the pace that I... that I. It's because you're not getting good sleep. 
You're right. <laughs> See, we were, we were talking about that offline before we yeah. started. My my three year old Sam is um, he's he's not going to bed at a, at a, a decent hour. Like he's uh-huh. he's like a negotiator, and he's just uh-huh. it's anarchy at bedtime and. Uh, He's still not asleep now. I don't know if it's it's close to nine now, Uh but he's probably still not asleep. I went away to LA and I brought my kids with me and we were in an Airbnb. And so there were only so many bedrooms. So Sam slept in my bed with me Uh when we were in the Airbnb. And since then, which was 25 weeks ago, it's been just really, really, really bad. And uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Sleep is so it, it, Those are the hours where I get stuff done. Um, it makes a really, really, really big difference. We don't have to go into a whole sleep conversation, but um, but that, that, you know, like if you imagine if you had three more hours in a day and you woke up feeling well rested and there was not battling in the morning or nighttime because everyone was well rested, you would save two, three, maybe four hours a day. Think about four more hours of the day. Yeah, it's an, it's, it's an crazy, insane amount of time. Crazy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. And I was listening to your podcast with Bev Young. Yeah. And she talked a lot about sleep, right? And yeah. the importance of sleep. Yeah. And for creative work, um, when before I had kids, I used to wake up when I had a job, a full-time job, I used to wake up at four in the morning to do my creative work before. Yeah. And people said, oh, you're going to have such an easy time having kids because you wake up so early. But it's different when you're on their schedule. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like when you're waking up because someone is crying, it's different than you waking up because your own internal alarm clock is waking you up to do something creative, right? right. Yeah. And not it's only like less time, thing. but like emotional. Like yes. that, that, it's like emotionally draining battling whenever you're battling with your kids. That, that zaps more than just the time from sleeping. It's true. It's, so yeah. we, we were talking about this before, right, Dina? And so we had a conversation about, like, what am I going to do? And you said, well, I, you could speak tough for love. yourself. I don't know. Yeah, stuff I've spoken about on the podcast before, but I, I'm, I'm personally quite um, tough love. We're going to get some negative reviews. People are like, she's so mean about kids sleep training. But, and and we don't have to rehash all this. But, um, but I think you can't, I think people should not allow their toddlers to dictate what happens in their house. They don't know. I mean, a three-year-old doesn't know what's good or bad for him or her. Um, they, they need us to set rules, make boundaries, make routines, et cetera. And they don't know that it's not good for them to stay up an extra hour late. They just don't know. Yeah, for and sure. so, um, yeah, I, I'm all about strict, predictable, hundred percent consistent, you know, saying before, um, you know, it's all about, I think again, predictability, a child does X and you do Y and you do Y and your partner does Y and other caregivers do Y and grandparents do Y and everyone does the same, um, ideally so that kids don't learn that they can manipulate, you know, here, there and everywhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, because otherwise, and, and, and similarly parents, uh, caregivers have to be on the same page about things. So if one parent is really relaxed and lackadaisical about parenting and other parents really strict, you're fucked. Truly, because the child's going to learn how to how to play play you guys off each other, and they're going to break any cracks in your parenting. And that's smart children. Unfortunately, smart kids know how to manipulate parents. And so, you know, you're saying you were talking early about like you know, um, like you know, he'll make a really good lawyer one day, kind of thing. People say that to me all the time, and like that's true. Kids, smart kids are going to do very well in life, but they'll do even better, and you'll have a better family life if you can rein that in. And yeah. like they could do their lawyering business when it doesn't really matter. You know, like I'm all about giving choice. So you want broccoli or cauliflower? I don't know, pick. I don't care. Um, but do you need to have the broccoli or the cauliflower? Absolutely. And do you need to go to bed when I say so? Absolutely. But you could pick what story you want before bed. You know, you can use this toothpaste or this toothpaste. Make your choices. I'm all about making choices. But when it comes down to like the nitty gritty, eating well, sleeping well, you know, screen time, activity, all these things, that's when I'm super strict. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Also, just in the context of empathy, it's boundaries, right? Like yes. you need to have boundaries when mm-hmm. you're empathetic. Yes. Because if you don't have boundaries when you're empathetic, then you'll never be able to sustain your empathy, right? Mm-hmm. You'll just become completely depleted because everyone will take advantage of you. Yeah. yeah. So the same thing with kids, right? You just need to be boundaried. But yeah. it's 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 been hard because, you know, we didn't want to lock him in his room and that seems like it's the it's the only option right mm-hmm. now. No, I think it's more than that though. I think it's I think it's, you know, like we talked about like the kitchen timer thing and we spoke about this with Tia Slightem as well. Mm-hmm. She does like the hourglass thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I recommend to families all the time to set a kitchen timer, your phone timer works well your phone's usually on you anyway set it for 20 minutes half an hour whatever amount of time you want for bedtime and in that 20 minutes let's say your child can pick and choose what they want to do do they want a couple stories do they want some songs Do they want to read to you do you want to read to them pee as many times as you want have as many cups of water as you want but when the timer goes off that is it the end good night no even finishing the story no more one song and if you if you put the onus on like the the you know the timer has the power there. So it's not you saying no, I'm saying mommy's not saying goodnight. The 
time or saying goodnight. Right. Smart. And so, but you have to put the back on that. If sometimes I've, I've heard, I've had parents do this before and they come back and they say, well, I did the timer, but then, you know, basically they end up, it wasn't working. And I say, well, why wasn't it working? When the timer went off, did you put the kid to bed? Well, I always finished the story. Okay. Did you ever do a story one more? Well, sometimes, you know, and no, you just lost all the power again. The power is in listening to the timer. And mm-hmm. when the timer goes off, the end, good night, done. So if you could take it off of you. The onus is not on you, it's on the timer. Kitchen timers work really well too because they like ding and it's like this big, dramatic. you know, dramatic thing. That's right. You know what though? I just had an epiphany in this conversation is that Kim is one of the, one of the few mom business owners we've had on the cast who had a thriving business before becoming a mom. A lot of our, um, I guess, subject matters or guests became entrepreneurs after they became mm-hmm. parents and often their entrepreneurship was in response to some sort of parenting trouble mm. strife or something whether or not it was sexuality or or sleep or finding a solution for parenting or finding a new sense of self and then building a business around that but you came from a very different places which is i think you're being very raw and honest kim and you're saying like you know this parenthood thing has has i can't i what i'm not the entrepreneur I once was, I'm a different entrepreneur than I once was. And I think that's interesting because um, it's just a different conversation than we've had before, which is like, which is, I think is, is insightful saying like, well, my kid isn't sleeping and it's impacting my creativity. It's impacting my ability to launch my new product or whatever we're saying. So um, I'm just realizing over 27 podcasts that this is the first time we've had this conversation, which is like, you're like, like I'm gassed a bit. Right. Like, right, and right. that's very honest to say like, I do like have a huge thriving social media community and a great business and really highfalutin clientele. But like, I'm tired, you know, my kid co-slept with me 25 weeks ago and I'm still paying the price because like I'm figuring it out. I'm a young mom, but like a savvy businesswoman and like, you don't have to have all the the answers. Yeah. And how do you marry the two? Right. Right. Yeah. How do you, but you're saying like, uh, you don't have it all. You said you said something to that effect. Yeah. Like you can't have you, it all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. but I don't feel that way. Uh, yeah, I do yeah. right now. Yes. And that's just honest, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. And, and I, it might I'm, be more at some points than others, right? Like sometimes family will be absolutely. more and sometimes your business will be more, et cetera. But I really, 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 really truly believe you can have it all at one time. I really believe that without having sacrifices. Truly. I I, I want people to believe that and feel that because I really think it's possible. Mm-hmm. Really, I do. Yeah, I think maybe at different points, but with a newborn, mm-hmm. it, it's a, it's a bit challenging to launch like a whole new product line. And a, like my vision is is very large for yes. the empathy effect and for my business. Yeah. So if you have a really large vision, it's it you want to make sure that you do it right. Of yeah. course. Yeah. And so sometimes it's okay to wait a bit, right? Sure. Yeah. We put so much pressure on ourselves, right? Yeah. To do everything like now. Yeah. And it's just like sometimes it can be crushing. And I think with you, what I'm hearing you say, and I'm similar to you, Kim, is like, is that we're still young parents, right? We still have kids who are like, we haven't even looked up yet from parenting. Like we're still dealing with sleep issues. We're still dealing with like, uh, you know, bedtime battles or whatever. So until those things sort of get smooth a bit, it's still a grind, right? It's a parenting is still a grind. And Dina can like talk until her face is blue about like all these pieces of ice, but until you can like sort of look up and take a fresh breath of air and be like, okay, I'm, I'm still a parent. But, you know, I'm meeting myself again for the first time with a new identity, right? Mm -hmm. And how do I sort of layer all these things in? And, you know, yeah, your baby isn't even one yet, you know, Kim, right? She's not one yet. She's not even yet one, right? So it's funny. I Somebody once said to me recently, like, there's like this new pressure on like moms. Like, not only do you have to like be a mom, you also have to build a business on your mat leave. I'm like, well, that's not actually it. You don't actually have to do any of those things. But if you have a drive to do something, I think what Dina is saying is to some degree, like um, once you look up and you have time and your four children are a little bit older, you know, you can sort of have it all right. Did you feel like you had it all with all your kids all the time? I, I, op- oh, I opened Kid Crew when, um, when I was three months pregnant. With who? Ozzy? Ozzy. Yeah. Yeah. Ozzy. Yeah. yeah. Did I open Kid Crew? So I opened Kid Crew like mini, like the like before I opened opened. I was mm-hmm. three months pregnant when I opened Kid Crew like like um, as it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oz was not born yet. I was about seven months pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, but Kid Crew's grown as he was like a baby baby. Like Austin, um, my youngest, who he just turned two, he came to the office with me for 20 months. Yeah, he I heard that was in podcast, my office. Yeah. Like he was like, it was a very mm-hmm. interesting kind of novel version of Matt Leave. So I was really in the thick of building the business when he was a baby. Granted, mm-hmm. he was my third, uh, he was my fourth. I already had three other kids. Um, but, but no, I really truly believe you can have it all. But mm-hmm. like now, I mean, like now, what do I do next? And I think now, like, you know, I mean, I've been building businesses for the last couple of years already. When I launch them, you know, Oz will be will be two when things are a bit easier. Yeah, I mean, I think is I Oz think not two yet. He's two. He's two. Yeah, he's turned two. Say. Right, it's two years and two months. But right. uh, but now obviously, take businesses take time to build, right? So a, mm-hmm. a few other businesses I'm launching this year, and he'll be two in that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like you know, do what works for your business, right? If you want this big, huge vision of things, when your child is two or one and a half or four, right. do that when you feel like you're the most comfy doing it for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, um, Kim, tell us about um, about your about your home life. You, you're a spiritual woman, right? Mm-hmm. How does that influence your your work, your parenting, your community? Well, the the spiritual component is definitely big in my house. So we we observe Shabbat. We don't mm-hmm. work on Saturday, and it's a it's a time to refuel and recharge. My my husband was actually the driver for that. Oh, really? Yeah, well, I grew up in a really secular house. Mm-hmm. I was brought up Jewish and we celebrated the holidays, but, and my husband was brought up as a reform person, not an Orthodox person, but we've adopted a more of an observant life. Mm-hmm. And uh, we go to a, a, a synagogue here called the Village Shul. That's this incredible synagogue on Eglinton near Bathurst. And yeah, it's a huge part of our life, a huge part of our social life, and a huge part of our children's lives too now, mm-hmm. just in terms of our social networks. And the this, this synagogue is really all about looking outward and giving back and how can you improve your community. So it's it's basically tikkun olam is the Hebrew word. It's, it's repairing the world. And that's really um, what they're trying to inspire people to do, and mm-hmm. that's what I'm trying to do with my business. And um, and so, yeah, it's a very it's it's a, like a, a community of people who are really about making the world more more holy and more beautiful mm-hmm. and less fractured and less divisive. And so that's a big part of my life right now, for sure. It's so interesting when we have women who are in here who are like so mission driven, right? Because some people's missions are like a little bit flaky, you know. Or maybe not flaky. I want to say like, like the empathy effect and what you're doing. Like that's a lot of weight bearing on your shoulders. You know, it's not just like oh, I want women to like have nice lipstick or like that their body should smell good with deodorant or something. It's like, and we've had all those women on the show, but you're like, I want to change the motherfucking world. You know, <laughs> and you're doing it like from your family, right? From like it, within your home outwards, right? On a lot of different verticals. So, but I'd I'd love to do a perfume. Empathy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. really? perfume. You like yeah. like a like a like a, a bouquet like that's sort of your totally. thing totally spicy yeah. like a masculine kind of scent mm. oh, I like for that. women i love that have you worn perfume since becoming a parent I, i've never been a perfume person actually yeah. i've owned perfumes but i'm a I, I have like a kind of a migraine brain mm-hmm. so i don't I get i don't get migraines often but s- strong mm-hmm. smells make me feel like dizzy and you I'm I'm so I'm like a very scent driven person. Uh-huh. Like I'm almost overwhelmed. It's my superpower. I'm almost overwhelmed by my sense of smell. Mm-hmm. And when I was pregnant, it was just like it was over, over the top. Control. Yeah. Did you find that in as a well? good way or a bad way? Yeah. A bad way. Oh, yeah. 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 It was too much. Yes. Like on a when I'm not pregnant, it's uh-huh. very powerful. But when I was pregnant, it yeah. was on steroids. <laughs> So, like, did you like like the smell of gasoline? A lot of women like that when they're pregnant or smell I always of leather. Like gasoline. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the smell of gasoline. Yeah, like the smell Isn't of gasoline. Weird yeah, thing? it is a weird thing. People yeah. like yeah. the smell of gasoline. Yeah, I would be interested in like making a mom perfume, like a perfume that isn't too pungent, something yeah. that like you can wear around your kids. Because I know, like, I used to love perfumes, Kim. Like, I used to like adore perfumes. Like, I had a perfume collection probably all through my teens and twenties and into my thirties that is sitting dormant now. And when I put on my perfume, my husband's like, oh, yeah, that's what you used to smell like Hmm. like, before we like had kids, you know. So, I mean, I'd love to riff with you on this, but I love to jam on any business idea, Hmm. you know. Do you you associate different perfumes that you wore with different memories? Absolutely. CK1. I think everyone does. CK1 was like literally from the age of 11, like the first perfume (laughs) I've had until I was 16. I remember going everywhere and like for $52, you could buy like the eau de toilette and like CK1 was my scent. And CK1 was the first time that like it was a gendered, like genderless brand, right. you know, yeah. which is interesting when you think about Calvin Klein and um, it smelled differently on everybody. And I'm somebody who just wore it very well. 
And to me, it was like kind of sexy. Like it yeah. got, got you going a bit, like you know, <laughs> yeah. at summer camp and stuff like that. Like that's what you had was like bug spray and CK1. Yeah. And then some people would buy like the cheaper imitation one that was like the spray. So that was, a, that was like a big one for me. And then um, um, in college, I discovered, what was the pink one called? Pink Sugar? It's sold at Sephora. It's okay. like very sweet. It's like cinnamon, basically. And then in my adult head, I was into like Tom Ford. You know, like my taste like. Yeah, me too. I know. love Tom and Ford. And now I really like, I'll only wear like, I don't know about you guys, but I like like the Aji or Seiji, like mm-hmm. the wellness, just like a little bit of oil right. balm right. on my like temples. Mm-hmm. And that's perfume now for me, you know. Mm-hmm. But if I can get like some Tom Ford on my body or like, um, oh, I can't even remember some of the brands, but I was like a yeah. huge fanatic when it came to perfumes yeah for sure though it gives you memories right like right. different smells from remove different boyfriends from the past totally. like, um one of my aunts used to wear i think it's called angel yes mm-hmm. and and, I, and I, people wear it all the time and every time i smell it i'm like it just brings me back to like oh, being I with my angel. aunt it was such a weird thing I and i angel. wanted i wanted angel to work for me but it never worked for me like i just didn't it didn't smell nice on me it didn't smell Hilarious. pretty um yeah and andrew what did you used to wear i can't remember what cologne you used to wear but there's something about that smell that like immediately I'm like 19 years old and like falling in love. What the hell was it? You don't remember, right? Eh? Oh, I'm um, Swiss, Swiss Army. It was Swiss Army. Swiss Army. Swiss Army. We're talking like circa 2001. Uh, yeah, Swiss Army brings me right back to like Andrew. Swiss Army. <laughs> Yes. I just remember like very strong deodorants of like my yes. teenage boyfriends. That's Andrew still, wear, still, still wears the same brand of deodorant that he wore when we were, when I was 18. Oh, that's so funny. Yes. What is it? Yeah. Speed stick? Uh, no, speed stick. What's the company, Kenneth? Old Spice. Oh, yeah, Old, Old Spice. Spice. That's right. Old Spice Sport. <laughs> Old Spice Sport. That's so funny. Yes. And it still reminds me of Andrew, you know? But, but yeah, for sure. We're very, like we're very, you know, our, our brains work like that, right? With Kim, I could scent. totally see you getting into perfumes. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to. Ashley, what's her name? First in, she's the chemist who makes perfumes, the custom made Well, stuff. one of my friends, Randy Schinder, was, uh-huh. was really into perfume. That's uh-huh. how she kind of started, like Dessert Beauty. Remember that from Sephora? Yes. With Jessica Simpson. She right. did that line. Oh, yeah. It, it smelled like cupcakes, like, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that was her first, I think, slam dunk in business. You oh, should really? ha- you should have her on the show, Randy Schinder. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Huh. Cupcakes okay. is good. Cupcakes is good. I can't good. imagine smelling like cupcakes, though. I couldn't imagine making a perfume. I love perfumes. I would be all up in that. It's hard work, though, because like, it's not simple. You don't just, because, like I said, angels smell like terrible on me. Uh-huh. So everything's Yeah, it depends on, on your chemistry, chemistry, right? right. Yeah. There's this perfume that I was wearing a couple years ago called Santal 33. Uh-huh. Labo makes it. And, um, that is such an intoxicating smell, but it's uh-huh. it can smell terrible on someone, right? Yeah, it just uh-huh. depends on your on your pH of your skin and your yeah. your body chemistry, I guess. Uh-huh. What else do you like? I love Tom Ford. Yeah, there's a perfume called Japonais Plum. Uh-huh. It's incredible. Yeah, it's really spicy and exotic. Yeah, my I husband wears Tom Ford. Black Orchid, I, yeah, that's that Tom I, Ford, yeah. Yeah, that's the one I love it by him. Yeah, yeah, I used to wear that one. That yes. was one of my signatures. Yes. And then I found when people start asking me, like, what, it, what is that you're wearing? Then they start wearing the perfume. Then I tend to switch off the perfume. Uh-huh. <laughs> I remember I went to Israel with a bunch of girls, and I Black Orchid was the perfume. And then a few people bought the perfume. And then I was like, okay, I'm moving on from Black Orchid. Else. Yeah. Do you wear perfume as a mom? Less. Yeah. Because you're not allowed to wear perfume in a lot of contexts, right? right? With kids, yeah. like, well, I think it's bothersome people. Not so yeah. much kids. I think it's women. A lot of people adults. are allergic, and again, and it's that pregnancy thing too, right? Like at, at our age, a lot of our friends are pregnant, or you know, in my, mm-hmm. in my space, there's lots of pregnant women. Um, so, and it can be really. I, I vomited throughout all my pregnancies. Any smell like that was just way too much. Like any, yeah. and even like pretty beautiful scents that I otherwise would love, like vanilla. I love the smell mm-hmm. of vanilla. Vanilla uh-huh. was nauseating during my pregnancy. Really, but it was like. A, Sorry, it's says Siri. On, on <laughs> I don't know what you mean by vanilla. Uh-huh. Yeah, vanilla for me was like super. Like I, I drank coffee before my first pregnancy, like forever. Like I was a physician that drank coffee, and it was just part of our routine and part of like the normal day for a physician in hospital. And like the smell of coffee in my first pregnancy was vile. Don't you not drink coffee? I don't drink coffee at all. Yeah. Right, at all. Okay. but I didn't since my first you. pregnancy. Mm. But. It's because it was so disgusting to me during pregnancies, and even now, like I used to love the smell. Like I, like I worked in Second Cup for years. I loved walking that you that did? scent. Yeah, it was my first job. In the pan. Yeah, in the pan. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was my first. It was my first job, and I loved that smell. And Andrew's a big coffee drinker, like a connoisseur. But now, even still, the smell is like eh, it reminds me of vomiting. You know, it's it's uh-huh. funny how smells are very very connected to. But Kim, I can brain totally your... see you launching a. Yeah, I want, I, I want I to. Like, the reason I want people to know Kim Smiley is I think like moms 
especially young moms, first time moms and second time moms, like they only, they don't really see pretty things that often. You know what I mean? They see like, or they inundate themselves with like needing to know knowledge about how to ace this parenting thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're all kind of fucking failing a bit. And then you come across our podcast or gold standards like Dina or like whatever it is. But like, I think for you, if somebody were to follow you or to like get in your halo, if you will, then they'll see beautiful things, right? They'll see beautiful bracelets. They'll see beautiful poetry. And I think that's like, I think that's like a nice thing for women is like, and like you say, positive and positive. Yeah. Positive and beautiful, right? Like I want to see beautiful things. I want like you are a sight, right? You're like, you're a vision. Like I'm wearing gray. (laughs) wearing black and she's wearing like joseph's you know technicolor dream coat over there well i the only reason i wore this is because i was trying to get in the right frame of mind (laughs) yeah i i I look terrible today oh no you're no no no, i did i did i I look terrible i i got dressed to come here today right because like the way that you get dressed it affects your mood just like if you're you know if the perfume too sometimes i put perfume on if i want to like elevate my my mood, right? I'll, yeah. I'll put some on and it'll just like make me feel more confident or yes. more sexy or whatever it is. Right? Well, I'm just, I think if you're, if you're, if you start becoming a fan of Kim Smiley and you, it's very positive and it's very pretty. Right. And I think Dean and I, our last podcast go, guest also was like very positive and like, you know, we didn't necessarily need to go into, I don't want to say like a self-help sort of thing, but like just sort of like things can be really beautiful and things can be really feminine and things can be really, uh, nice to look at, right? And be a pleasure to be around, right? And, and that your story's so amazing, you know? Thanks, Alana. I mean, I think that that things can be beautiful and that can be really powerful also. That's right. Like it's not, beauty isn't necessarily something inferior or something weak or something we have to be ashamed of. Right. I think it's something we can embrace in a, in a very empowering way. Like that idea I was talking about with Shakti, which is in Sanskrit, it's the divine energy. The reason why I talk about that is because that's what I studied. Right. Um, I was going to be a professor and then I just, I switched gears, but I studied Asian religion and philosophy and um, my degree was in women's studies as well. So I'm all about like the divine feminine and right. feeling empowered. And, and, um, and I think that my company and the aesthetic of my company when you see it is kind of like that it's like a manifestation of the divine feminine and the goddess and and that sort of thing i love that kim what's like in terms of fashion trends what are you into i'm not i'm not into trends i mean but what do you see what are you excited about for yourself or what you're seeing those teddy coats i like what's a teddy coat it's the i don't know how to describe it but i i saw um I think Jessica Mulrooney was wearing one or mm-hmm. it was, it's just like a very cozy, it looks like a teddy bear, oh, yes. but it's in a coat form. Yes. So I'm excited like about that. furry jackets. They're like furry. Yeah, they're like furry, but yeah, they're not like real fur. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they're just oversized. Right. I'm into comfort. Like yeah. I think um, things that are oversized aren't necessarily not glamorous. Like I find there can be a lot of glamour in things mm-hmm. that are more sort of um, not less fitted, right? I, I really changed my style before I had kids to mm-hmm. now. Like my, I used to wear very fitted clothes and fitted suits and now everything is very flowy. Right. And it's not just because my body has changed. I just, it's partly because of just my spirituality. Yeah. And Mod- because like I'm- Modesty. Yeah, just a yeah. modesty. Yeah. And not just modesty in terms of the way that I look, but in right. terms of the way that I carry myself and the way right. that I talk about myself and just humility. I think right. it's, it's really important. I agree. Especially when you're in something like fashion, right? Which can be can be very superficial, and right. I think it's just important to stay very grounded, right? And um, and humble, right? I think right. That that's because I think there's nothing that's less attractive than people that are arrogant or pretentious. I, I'm I'm kind of allergic to that. Like we're talking about sense and aller- being allergic to things like that. Right. I'm allergic to that, like to pretension and. Um, like highfalutin, whatever. I, I don't, I don't care for any of that stuff. Yeah. And that's why I don't really keep an eye on trends and stuff. I kind of like, I'm more interested in things that are timeless and classic. Mm-hmm. And, um, like a lot of the stuff that I'm designing, I'm not looking at trends. Cause also I don't want to copy people. Right. That's another thing. There's, there's lots of copying in fashion. Mm-hmm. So, um, I look more to like, uh, classical sculpture and things mm-hmm. like that to get inspired and look at Renaissance art and things like that for my inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, I had an experience, um, actually it was while I was pregnant that I found out someone was copying my jewelry. And that was like a really emotional thing for me. And it kind of was a bit of a turning point in my, in my business for me. Because hmm. I was often really soft about things like that and was like, oh, it's okay, you know, live and let live, whatever. But I actually, for the first time, I took a harder line about it. 
And I'm like, no, this isn't okay. Like, this is part of my artistry, and it's mm-hmm. not okay for people to just flagrantly copy and mm-hmm. and whatever. And so that was that was a big turning point for me while I was pregnant with Maya. Mm-hmm. How does that work? Is that clearly you kind of like, well, maybe not clearly, but you kind of like patents on those kind of things. So how does that work if someone does copy? You know, it's interesting because my stuff is made in very small quantities. So, yeah. like, I learned about IP law. Uh, my my neighbor is a patent lawyer, and when things are made in quantities of less than fifty then it, it could be considered a work of art that you're, you're actually not allowed to copy. But if things are mass produced, mm-hmm. then you know, it's, it's, that's why there's so much copying in fashion, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and fast fashion. The other, the other thing that I'm really interested in is slow fashion. Mm-hmm. Because like fast fashion is like, we're, we're, you know, we go into a store and we think, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Look at this deal, like $9.99 for like a jumpsuit or something. But people aren't thinking, like, why is that $9.99? Like, who made that? Where was that made? Yeah. And we, we don't think about those things, right? So my company, because it's made locally, the supply chain is I know exactly where everything was made. That's really important to me too. Um, very tangential. I don't know why I started talking about that. But um, What is slow fashion though? What is slow it? fashion is the opposite of fast fashion. Mm-hmm. So fast fashion is like things that are very cheap. 52 you know, weeks. Sweatshops. of fashion, right? I don't know what that is. 50- like there's 52 seasons. Oh, That's right. Okay. Okay. Two mm-hmm. weeks in a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's sweatshop, right. you know, it's sweatshop kind of fashion. And, and unfortunately the fashion industry, a lot of it is still made in sweatshops right. by child labor. And, um, and so there's a, there's a big trend now in fashion towards slow fashion. So it, it probably is a bit more expensive, mm-hmm. but you know who made it. It was made for a fair wage. People were treated fairly in the making of the jewelry or the clothing or the shoes or whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, it's a, just a really different model. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And is there anyone that you um, admire in the fashion industry? Is there anyone that you, I mean, not necessarily like, not necessarily like as a, as a, um, to copy their style, but is there somebody who, you think is doing amazing work that you, I think is inspirational or aspirational or in the social enterprise. Yes. That's a good one. I am. I'm so happy for Jessica Mulroney. Uh Um, I just think she's doing such an amazing job and she just got this, this Netflix deal. I don't know if you've, you heard about it, but I do redo, you know, she's, I I think she's just killing it. Jessica Mulroney. And she's such a nice person. She's such a nice person. eh? And she's such a sweet person. Uh And, um, it's, it's so difficult, you know, when you're in the public eye like that, I've only been in the public eye like a couple of times and the way people bully and slag is just it's merciless, like mm-hmm. on social media. Like you guys too are, are seeing it as well, right? Because yeah. you're more in the public eye. And it's just, it's it's painful because these are people, right? And, um, and a big part of the empathy effect is shining a light on that of how social media is a tool that can be used in such toxic ways, mm-hmm. but it can also be used in such beautiful ways. So I think Jessica's doing a lot around bullying and sort of like shining a light on conversations about cyber bullying and those types of things that, um, I'm just, I'm, I think she's doing great work. So I'm, I'm really, really uh, impressed with her. Um, I think Jenny bird is doing amazing. I love Jenny. You know, uh, she's, um, she's going to be our, one of our mom bosses in February. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's really doing a fantastic job. Yeah. And, uh, and she's, I, I, I like her too because she's real. And oh, she's yeah. down to earth, yeah. and um, I just, I really like her social media. Yeah, and they're helpful too. Like Jenny Bird and her husband are helpful. Like I went to a a couple years ago, I went to something that the Toronto Fashion Incubator did, and Jenny mm-hmm. was speaking. And afterwards, they said, you know, please contact us if you have any questions or whatever. And I did contact her husband Adam a couple times, and he was so helpful mm-hmm. with information and. I, I like that about their company. Like mm-hmm. they don't hide things. She posted recently there was a production uh, house in Toronto that was in jeopardy of closing their doors because like it's expensive to produce locally. And she said, you know, I want everyone to be aware of this casting house or whatever it was. I can't remember the details, but she's she doesn't hide things. Like she keeps things very transparent. So I think Jenny's doing a, a really good job. That's awesome. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well. Is there something you would like to impart to our guests, our audience? If there's one piece of wisdom you want them to know about Kim Smalley, the empathy effect jewelry, 
your business, your cause? You know, there's one thing that we we didn't get to talk about, which sure. um, which I'd love to tell you about, just because it's such a cool thing. want to hear it. That the empathy effect is working on. It's um, mental health is like a very big passion of mine. Mm-hmm. I'm just really really interested. I always have been in mental health, and the empathy effect partnered with an organization called um, Toronto Institute for Contemporary Psychoanalysis. And uh, they're building a free clinic in Toronto for people who have health issues that can't afford to pay for therapy. And it's probably going to open in 2020 mm-hmm. on Vaughan, so like right in midtown Toronto. Wow. And I think it's just such a beautiful idea that actually existed over 100 years ago in Freud's time. Freud was actually the originator of the idea in Europe, and there were several free clinics that existed in Europe. Because the idea was that people should have as much right to care for their mind as they do for their body. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard to access mental health services in Toronto if you can't afford to pay, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's very hard to get a psychiatrist in Toronto. And therapy's very expensive, so we're opening up this free clinic, and I'm just, I'm so who's, excited who's paying about for it. it. Like, where does the funds come from? So it's the Toronto Institute for Contemporary uh, Psychoanalysis is raising the money. They're a charity, hmm. and the Empathy Effect is going to partner with them to help with marketing and to help with raising the money for the free clinic. Amazing. Is it going to help children as well, or youth? No, it's an adult. It's yeah. going to be adults. But yeah, you're quite right. There, it's a huge issue. Um, I mean, actually, I think Toronto is probably one of the better served communities because we're so big. But you're right, psychiatrists are very hard to access. And even still, like a psychiatrist might see you once or twice, but they're not going to follow you long term. Um, and yes, yeah, psych- psychology is very expensive. And, you know, some health plans cover it, but not typically 100%. Um, it's a big challenge. There's a lot of people that need help. A lot of people need help. It's, and it's, just- a, it's interesting the, the, It's interesting how um, health is provi- healthcare is provided in Ontario, right? Like if you have cancer or a million other problems, you know, the ministry pays for all of it or it pays for all of it. But mental health is completely like separated from that. You know, it's, it's really sad if you have depression or anxiety or OCD or a million other issues, you're expected to pay it a pocket for therapy by and large. Um, and that's really, it's embarrassing and, um, it's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. And so I think this is really going to change that. And it's, it's a model that can be replicated in other cities, across Canada, across the United States. I just think mm-hmm. it's a really exciting thing that this institute is doing. And so I'm really excited to be partnered with them on it. And um, yeah, it's 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 going to be in Vaughan in 2020 on Vaughan Road. Wow. So very accessible. Dina, do you think it's because there's a lack of doctors who become therapists? Or is it is it? No, the no, there's many, many rate? psychologists in the city. Yeah. Um, there are only so many psychiatrists, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, the thing is, a psychiatrist is trained. I mean, they're physician, right? So they they certainly are trained to do therapy, but they're they're really about medicines, right? right? So they do assessments and they usually treat with medicines. And if there was many, many, many more of them, people would get more care, of course. But what most people with mental health concerns need, besides having like good primary care and sometimes seeing a psychiatrist once in a while, is ongoing therapy. So to do like cognitive behavioral therapy or one of the many other types of therapy psychologists, social workers, other mm-hmm. like psychotherapists provide that, but it isn't covered by OHIP. Um, in Ontario, it's just not covered. Really? At no, all. I didn't know that. No, it's not. Psychiatry is covered. Yes. If you like, can find somebody. If you yes. can find someone. But exactly. psychiatrists will typically not provide ongoing therapy. Like if you have, you know, depression, for example, you benefit greatly from sometimes medicines, but even more so from, you know, regular therapy, therapy, right? Yeah, talk yeah. therapy of any sort. And that's usually like weekly or bi-weekly or, or something. And no, it's not covered by by OHIP. It's it's really it could be devastating for families. Like, you know, I use the cancer example, but it could be anything. It'd be asthma. It could be respiratory problems. It could be rheumatoid arthritis. Anything. Name any disease, and all those things are covered. And the medicines associated with them are are often covered as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, hospital care is covered. You know, and obviously, if like you have a significant mental health issue, you you can be hospitalized. Sure, right. but then you're kind of like, okay, you know, go and. And and good luck. And and of course, you know, people with severe mental illness sometimes have ongoing care in hospitals, but it's it's um, you know few and far between. And the vast majority—I don't know what the stats are, but probably like my guess would be ninety-five percent of people with mental health concerns, which is many, 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 many people. Right? I mean, more people have anxiety, depression, etc. in Toronto than have cancer. Right. And uh, and they are often left to their own devices, and that's a terrible thing. The only time I've ever had access to mental health professional was when I was pregnant with my second kid I was having so much anxiety about how to manage family life mm-hmm. that my my midwife was recommending me to a women's college hospital and for me there was so much taboo about mental health that like 
I saw a few friends like going through women's college to go see a psychiatrist for the first time in my adult life. Like, what are you here? I'm like, oh, I'm just getting tests. Like, I totally lied about what I was doing there. And then I had only seen the therapist, I think, once or twice in my pregnancy. And then they put me in like a group session um, to do mindfulness, which was the first time I was like, this is bullshit. I can't believe this is what I signed up for. It was helpful when I was like 30 weeks pregnant and thought I was going to like, you know, lose my family in my house and everything. I just felt like the whole world was bearing down on me. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't realize that like, because I didn't pay for those things. Yeah. So hospital based care, um, a pre part, pre prepartum, prepartum. Yeah. Okay. And postpartum, like there's, there's some decent care in Toronto. And again, mm-hmm. this is Toronto where there's lots of access, right. you know, around other cities, other countries, like the access is terrible. And a lot, you know, have a taboo in Canada, taboo around the world like it's it's worse in many many ways right yeah. so depending where, where you're living um but yeah around you know pregnancy and postpartum there's there's decent care you can access care relatively easily with a referral but it is it's short-lived typically like i'll see you for a block and then mm-hmm. and then they send you send you to follow up with with therapists and what's the name of the clinic going to be Kim? the free clinic the free clinic mm-hmm. really on von road yes sir by you mm-hmm. that's awesome but they won't see my families Pardon? Well, they can see them my parents. There's ton, there's families. tons of work being done in yeah. Canada and mm-hmm. I think in other countries too about destigmatization. Like yeah. that's a real focus for mental health. But there's not many service oriented yes. right. But things look, happening, it, it, right? So destigmatization I think is super important. Sure. Of but if we're not even gonna pay for it, mm-hmm. like it's like we already have a stigma as a as a medical profession. Right. Anyway, it's it's very it's very disconcerting for me. You know, in any given shift in the hospital, I see two, three, four, sometimes more kids that are coming in with um, sometimes very, very significant mental health concerns and sometimes just kind of long protracted chronic issues where there may not be like actively suicidal, but they have this underlying, you know, unhappiness, depression, anxiety, fears, all these things. And, and I don't know, the care is just so bad. If you're having to present to the eMERGE because you've had this like chronic, like indolent stuff, but you're not truly like a safety risk, that's telling me the system's broken. Mm-hmm. Like you should have, or, or, and all these people have already seen their family doctor or their pediatrician, they've been referred and then they just don't have the means because psychology is very expensive. It's mm-hmm. very expensive, but the beauty of this model is that the people who are doing the free clinic, like the mm-hmm. psychologists, the therapists are there for training. So it's like a legal aid. So they're getting their training hours by offering these free services and they're being supervised by senior psychologists. Interesting. So it's, it's a like very a cool, yeah, yeah it's a very of, cool yeah. model uh-huh. and it makes so much sense. Interesting. And it's, um, and it's free, right? Yeah. Hmm. Wow. And so a lot of people are suffering in silence and they can't access, like Dina's saying, right? They can't mm-hmm. access help. Right. And so they end up like at CAMH or like in the emergency room because I think the statistic, when I used to work at UJ, the statistic was one in five people will be hospitalized for a mental illness at some point in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. That's like incredibly high. Mm-hmm. Right, but if we had more access to sort of ongoing care, like you were talking about, yeah, potentially we'd be able to to make those statistics like less daunting, right? I wonder if these movements, like the Tony Robbins and all these wellness things, which are trying to like, you know, where it's a one to many offer, where somebody becomes this like, you're going to coach me through this thing. I'm having this crisis in my life. I went to Tony Robbins recently just to like to see what the hype was all about and the Rachel Hollis's of the world is like these people become, it becomes like a religion to some degree because people are so sad and they really need to glamp onto something. Yeah. And these people give them hope strategies, tools like Rachel Hollis will tell you, you wake up at five 30 in the morning. And if you put your health at the center of your life, you're going to be a happier person. And it's like not rocket science to eat well and to move your body. But Rachel Hollis has been able to make a billion dollar industry out of telling people that because people don't have access to medical professionals, you know, one good therapist tells somebody something, they get a platform to share it with others and they're making a gazillion dollar business. Like religion off of, too, right? I mean, how many people right. found religion and, and changed their lives right. because they believed in something better. They had hope, right. they, had, they were less helpless, et cetera. Right. Yeah. So interesting. Community is important. I think people are generally quite sad and feeling very isolated and alone. And I think three of us actually, now that I said I can tie it with a nice rep bow here, is like we are all on a path of trying to bring people together and bring people actual physical and mental wellness, right? And also like a sense of community, right? And a sense of belonging. So I think that's huge for what for what you're doing. Cause and you and you as well. Because right? I th- I think that with the proliferation of social media, as the more connected we are, the more disconnected we are. Right. So to actually bring people together in person is is such a service. And I believe honestly in the analog, right? When everyone's going digital, I go analog. Like let me put people in a room and connect them as much as humanly possible. I just hosted an event. 
on Saturday, I just had a dinner party in my house. We have a small house and I'm a busy woman, but I overextended myself <laughs> because I wanted people in my daycare, literally my daycare friends. I know like 15 families at my daycare just from shooting the shit in the hallways. They, no one knew each other. And I brought together 10 families. It was 20 adults, 10 toddlers and six babies. And my 36 people in a very, like my house is not that big. And they were like, this was such a cool, fun party because like they didn't know each other, right? They're just like, like glances in the hallways, you know? So I, I think you're right. There is something really special about voting with your feet, I say, right? Showing up in person and creating those opportunities for people to connect um, offline, you know? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Dina, what'd you learn today from our friend Kim Smiley? Um, all about the empathy effect, which I've not cool. heard of. And I think it's really awesome. And, and I think to focus on the positivity and like these powerful, empowering stories of, of positive love and um, life, I think is, is so great. Because I, I have I have a lot of apprehension around social media and mm-hmm. the negative that we see in the toxicity, like you say. And so I think it, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. Thank you. Thank, so thanks ha- for coming. I'm, happy to, I'm so happy to connect mm-hmm. you guys. Mm-hmm. And if you want to find Kim Smiley, it's a great name. You can't mess it yeah. up. KimSmiley.com. <laughs> Thanks for coming, everybody. Thanks for having Yay. me, guys. Thanks for coming. Check out the free clinic. I'm going to go there and do some talk therapy. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We hope you really enjoy the content. We are eager to chat with the most interesting people about topics that you care about. Please connect with us on social media at Moms That Say, at MomsTO, and at Dr. Dina Kulik and share your comments, requests, and to continue the conversation. If you want to hear more, click subscribe and rate us too. We're all about the feedback because this podcast is for you. Have a great rest of week. Until next time.